Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's good to be with you again this week. It is Public Schools Week here in Oklahoma. We are very glad um, to be celebrating and to be talking about public schools today. We have a special guest for you in just a few minutes. Uh, it's going to be Erica Wright from the Rural Schools Coalition. Uh, but first, just a quick note. Uh, well, two things. One, this episode is being recorded virtually, so the sound quality is a little bit different. I apologize if it's bad. We're using a new platform. We'll see how it goes. Uh, secondly, today that I'm recording this is February 29th. It is Leap Day, and that means it is also uh, deadline day at the Oklahoma State Legislature. Today is the first major deadline. It is the day that bills must be out of committee in their chamber of origin, right? That means House bills have to be out of House committee, Senate bills have to be out of Senate committee, excluding appropriations and budget bills, which don't come into play until April. So uh, as we record this in the afternoon, we don't yet know what all is alive and what's dead. Of course, no bill is ever truly dead until they adjourn, sine die in late May. But if bills are dead, at the end of the day today, there's a good chance, a decent chance, that they will be dead for the rest of this session. And that means a big chunk of bills, roughly half, I think, of all the legislation that's been proposed this year uh, will likely be dead, or at least dormant, for the rest of this year. Uh, and that means there'll be a lot of folks celebrating today and a lot of folks taking a, a big sigh of relief um, there's a long way to go, right? There's still the floor deadlines in the chamber of origin. Then they, everything crosses over and goes through the process again on the other side. So we'll see what happens. But, um, for right now, um, it's a pivotal day. I am working on our bill sheet for all the democracy votings and elections and all of that, those bills. And I will be sending that out in an email blast in the next few days, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe over the weekend. As soon as I can get it done, uh, my kids got a soccer tournament this weekend. It's tough to get work done from the soccer fields. Uh, and that is obviously the more pressing and important thing that I need to do with my time. But for today, listeners, I'm here with you. And for the next 45 to 48 minutes, we're going to be talking about education, which is such a pivotal and important issue in Oklahoma. And for this week in particular, it's been top of mind for hopefully most of you, certainly many of my colleagues who work directly in the ed education system, structure, advocacy adjacent organizations. So um, without further ado, let's get on to our guest. My guest today is Erica Wright, who is the founder and director of the Oklahoma Rural Schools Coalition. Welcome to the program, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here with you today. It's so great. This is uh, this is Public Schools Week, right? This is a national it is. thing. It's not just in Oklahoma, um, but it's a big, big deal. Like around the country, I think it's exciting to see. Even just scrolling my. Twitter feed and Instagram mm -hmm. or whatever these apps are called today. Um, X, I guess my X feed. And uh, I feel like my X feed is a different conversation. <laughs> it's nothing to do with social media. <laughs> but um, looking there and I, and I think I had mis probably mistakenly thought that this was just an Oklahoma thing because we are steeped in the public school conversation here in our state, but it's really part of a national thing, right? This is like a national week um, where advocates and supporters and participants in public schools come together to really highlight the important role that public schools have in our communities. Is that a fair Yeah, it is absolutely assessment? fair. It's, it's exactly what you said and more, and just celebrating the accomplishments and all of the great things that are happening in our public schools. And I think that's even more important now than ever, as we see so much negativity surrounding the narrative of public schools. This is a great week for us to kind of take that narrative back and talk about the wonderful things that public schools offer to our communities. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's, we'll come back to the week itself and advocacy yeah. days and that. But uh, first, I want to talk a little bit about you as a person um, so that our listeners get to know you. Can you, Erica, tell us a little bit about your background and how you 
kind of got into this uh, this arena? Yeah, so my my degree is actually in elementary education. I graduated with that degree from Oklahoma State in the early 90s. And then um, because of some life events and having a, a child and being a single mom, I couldn't afford to teach. I couldn't afford to be a single mom and, and teach in the classroom. And so my career led me down a different pathway through sales and marketing and some other things um, later to owning a construction company with my husband. And, but so I've always had a passion for public education. I've always had a passion for supporting my children's teachers in the classrooms. And, um, you know, really what, how I kind of stumbled into the state advocacy role has just been kind of a, a true grassroots story of building the ship as we go back in 20, I guess it would have been in the fall of 2018, there was a bill introduced on the Senate side called Senate Bill 441 that was about the four-day school calendar. And at the time, my um, school district that we live in now was operating on a four-day school calendar. And um, we wanted to be able to keep the ability to have that local decision. And so we started to, I kind of started digging into that bill and rallying people and and we started this little Facebook group for four-day school advocates on this one bill. And um, then that bill came to a head right about when COVID hit. And so everything fell apart, right? Because they had bigger fish to fry than what our school calendars were. And so we had this small Facebook group of about, I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 people that had been advocating for that bill. And so we decided at that point, we kind of looked at the landscape and there wasn't really anybody out there that was doing front facing social media advocacy for rural schools in particular, which a lot of those, a lot of those issues are the same, right? Whether you're from Edmond or you're from Noble or you're from Winniewood, a lot of us share the same issues, but rural schools in particular do have a host of unique situations that they're presented with. So at that point, we decided to rebrand to the Oklahoma Rural Schools Coalition. And now we have grown to over 12,000 members from all 77 counties of the state. And um, we're just rocking and rolling. And I think here in the next six months or so, we're going to look to kind of formalize this thing and, and put ourselves into a little more formalized, organized realm of an advocacy group. Sure. Yeah. And, and so most of this connection has been through social media, I think through Facebook in particular. Um, it's funny, I had a conversation today with a friend whom I met through Twitter mm-hmm. back when Let's Fix This first started in 2016. And we were talking about how different the social media landscape is today. And yeah. she's someone that's kind of gotten off of social media over the last few years. And she said, I'm thinking about getting back on, where can I get back to re-engage with people involved in like yeah. advocacy in Oklahoma. And I was like, well, it's a lot different now. I said, I, for me, and I think a lot of organizations like Facebook fell out of favor and some, for some people, but has now kind of come back around as Twitter has, I don't know, decompensated yeah. <laughs> over the last couple of years um, where it is just not as useful or certainly not as friendly as it used to be. No. Um, but also, I think this unique point in history, looking more broadly, right, that social media and the internet provides a platform for people from disparate communities to connect with one another. And this is such a great example, right, that whether you are in Noble or Winniewood yeah. or Edmond or Idabel or whatever, right. you're able to connect with people who have a lot of the same struggles and maybe share the same values and approach to this issue in particular that you wouldn't otherwise interact with, right? Unless you were like driving from town to town. So this kind of activity 30 years ago was just not, not possible. No. And I'm curious through your eyes as someone who had been an educator and kind of been on another side of this issue, how do you, how do you see that as um, this connection, right? Let's like say this network of rural school, public school advocates across the state. How does that inform what you do today and how do you think that changes the conversation? Well, I hope we're making strides in changing the conversation. I think, you know, when you look at social media, like you said, 30 years ago, heck, even even 10 years ago, we weren't able to connect with people 
in a way that we can now with social media. Now, we all have our personal views on social media. Some days I would love to shut it down and walk away, but it's such a powerful tool in amplifying voices and, like you said, in connecting people. You know, what I see from a rural perspective is that here we are in this age of information overload, right? Like we know what our friend had for breakfast and we know what news happened in China 15 minutes ago sometimes. Um, so we have all of this information being thrown at us from every direction. But from a rural perspective, even though we have all this information out there in social media, I think it's important to note, especially when you talk about advocacy and sharing news and information that because of the advent of social media, we've also seen a decline in smaller newspapers around the state, right? So our rural voters, mm -hmm. our rural families, um, especially our older voters, our grandparents, they're not getting as much local information and state applicable information as maybe they had in the past because they don't have um, their local paper showing up on their doorstep and many people are too far away for delivery of Oklahoma City and Tulsa world and again our senior voters aren't necessarily logging online and so in in the rural advocacy space it's it's quite interesting because we have more connection than we've ever had before through social media but yet we still have some new challenges because of social media that have created an information desert in some pockets of the state in certain populations and so um, while I think we're, we're, we are definitely making strides in getting information to voters about what's really happening at the Capitol regarding their public schools, I think we have a lot of places that we could improve on that as well. Yeah. Well, and that's where organizations like yours fill that void, right? Like my, I, my sister lives in uh, a rural-ish, rural town, Hera, right? Just mm -hmm. east of Oklahoma City. And she relies, there's a, there's a Facebook group called Everything Hera. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like a government account. I don't know who runs it, kind of right. a chamber-ish person or someone, business yeah. person. But that's like the hub of most of her information about what's happening in town, which ends up being, you know, as those things go, like a little bit of like a local gossip column about sure. whose dog is out. Like there's a while back, my sister had some pigs and one got out. And yeah. the moment that pig ended up on the Facebook group, she was like, that's it. We're done with the pigs. Like I'm not going to be embarrassed <laughs> by a hog this way. And um, I think... But you're exactly right. I, I you know, I used to uh, used to run Freedom of Information in Oklahoma, and we are constantly um, kind of keeping a, a finger on the pulse of journalism in rural areas. And yeah. as those local papers have died or been bought up by larger right. conglomerates and kind of turned into just advertising delivery systems, right. it is harder and harder for folks to stay informed with the issues that matter close to home. They might watch cable news right. and have an idea about what's happening nationally, whether that idea is accurate or not is right. probably a matter of perception. But um, but when it comes to things like what's happening at the state capitol with legislation that's proposed, right. what are our legislators saying, what are our local school boards doing, a lot of that by nature has to come from us, like from the community and helping keep one another informed, right? And so yeah, I think I view this for let's fix this. And I think you probably share this with the Rural Schools Coalition, that there's like a responsibility to try to provide factual information to, I'll say your constituents, for lack right. of a better term, right? Like your followers, your, your members of your group, but to there's a responsibility there to keep them involved in the process. How do you, uh, and that can be tough, right? Like that's tough for everybody. It's tough for actual journalists. It's tough for all of us to try to provide a good information. What do you find like is most, I don't know, resonant? Like if you were sharing information about the capital or about advocacy, have you noticed that like there's certain types of, uh, not certain types of content, but like certain, messages that seem to resonate more with with rural school supporters than others? Well, I would say, you know, we ha we have everything out of Facebook in general. That's kind of where we we do have a Twitter account, but most of our community is in, within Facebook and it's in within a group. And we did that on purpose because we know that our average person who's engaging in our group 
um, is most likely to be female and they're most likely to be between the ages of 30 and 55. And that's kind of our core group in our Facebook group. And um, I think as far as kind of the content that seems to resonate with people, you know, we're, we're cyclical. Obviously, during legislative season, we're talking a lot more about bills and giving people opportunity to take action. Um, I think probably in the last year, the, the, the two areas where we have seen the most interaction, number one, um, is when we celebrate what's going on in their local schools, right? When little yeah, at, like yeah. Lax girls wrestling team just won state. So we're celebrating that today. And people love to see not only the um, great things that their own kids are doing shared in a broader community, but they like to see the successes of other towns. And so we do get a lot of interaction on our celebratory posts. And I would say here in the last couple of years, um, our two biggest topics of, of content that people seem to really cling to is the discussion, obviously, that we had about public funds going to private schools with school vouchers and tax credits. Um, and then also the, the issue of certain politicians wanting to remove federal funding from our rural schools. And, you know, I think when you strip away national politics and you look at the heart of a rural school community, that school truly is the heartbeat for everything that's going on in that community, right? And people know that kiddos in their school are not being fed well when they come home. They know that their kids are dealing with high poverty situations and all of the things that are attached to that. And so this idea of removing federal funding um, is applicable to anybody, no matter what community you're in. But in a rural community, I think um, what we have seen is people really are resistant to that idea. And um, they understand that the benefit of federal funds for their schools are something that are that, that is truly irreplaceable because our, our state doesn't have the money to replace it, right? So to me, right. I think in the last couple of years, those seem to be the content that people really um, have gotten behind and, and amplified their voices around. Yeah. Do you, you know, there's, um, we're in the midst of, I, I would say, a teacher crisis, right, in Oklahoma. Yeah. We have been for years. It's gotten worse. It doesn't get the press today that it got five or six years ago, but we have like the largest number of emergency certifications or teachers that have been emergency certified or alternately certified. We also have, I think, a record number of just vacancies of spots that don't mm -hmm. have teachers to fill. I don't have any sense if that is skewed between urban and rural or if it's equally distributed across the state. How are those things affecting at schools in, in rural Oklahoma? Well, I think you're right. And we also now we also have to remember we have the adjunct teachers in that mix as well who who, you know, aren't necessarily trained to to be teachers in the first place. And so, um, you know, it it would be helpful for the conversation if we could get good, solid data out of the State Department of Education on where these vacancies, mm. where these emergency certifications are. I still have open records requests outstanding from last April. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and answer this just from my gut because I don't have the data. I've asked for the data. I'm not able to get the data, the full data. Um, but I think it's definitely, I mean, the, the teacher crisis is definitely impacting rural schools, particularly in our border communities where we're bordering with other states, right? So, for example, a great um, example would be when you look at the districts who were previously on a four-day school schedule, who are now, a lot of them are using virtual days and things like that. They're doing that. One of the main reasons that they've been doing that and continue to do that is to retain their teachers from crossing state lines. So in southeastern Oklahoma is where you see a lot of those schools in particular. And you look at the four-day schools in Texas, they're all in northeast Texas. And so the four-day school week has been something that a lot of rural schools have been holding on to as best they can in order to retain their teachers from crossing over into other states where they can make more money and they can have that four-day schedule. So I, I don't think that rural is, I'm sure we all have our different 
um, issues when dealing with teacher recruitment and retention, but you know, it is, it's a lot harder to recruit a teacher to go to Bowlegs than it is somebody to Tulsa, right? Like they mm -hmm. have to have mm -hmm. a different desire for what their space is going to look like and living. And so, um, we definitely, I mean, it's definitely, we're feeling it in the rural areas as well. And, um, you know, and it's difficult when you have, I think if you were to look at a lot of our rural communities, your, your community of educators are people who may have grown up in that town or in a neighboring town. Their families are there. They want to go back to rural Oklahoma, but we also see that, you know, our teacher, our teacher, um, our teacher prep programs are losing enrollment as well. And so I'm really mm -hmm. concerned about the future of rural Oklahoma as these kids decide they don't want to stay here and they don't want to come back to the rural communities. What is this going to look like in five or 10 years? It's, it's pretty terrifying to think about. Yeah. I think, man, <laughs> our state has a bad, bless you. Um, our state has a bad habit of, um, I don't know, cutting off our nose to spite our face and, and yeah. we, maybe a frame it with a different phrase, but like we are, we have a bad habit of making decisions for today without fully appreciating the consequences we will face tomorrow. Right. Particularly mm -hmm. when we see this with budget stuff, right? Like it's right. easy to cut taxes and we have a long history of like cutting taxes. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, something happens and it comes back to bite us, right? The big, I mean, the big crisis in 2016, 2017 was because of that tax cut trigger bill they passed, you know, yep. five or six years prior. I have some concern. Like, I think that, you know, the the governor just signed the the elimination of the state grocery tax, um, sales tax, which I think is like good policy because it's a somewhat like progressive tax policy. Right. But we didn't fill that budget hole, right? So we've... We're saving individuals some money, which is good. Like especially right. lower income folks, that's good. That's empirically good. But it's going to cost our state four hundred million dollars a year. And I was like, oh, so over a decade, that's oh, that's four billion dollars, yeah. right? Like that's yeah. an enormous amount of money that our state won't get to spend on core services like education, like healthcare, like right. all these things we need. And and without a plan to like make that up. <laughs> it's just going to cause us to suffer in the future. And like, I don't, you know, that's, if I save a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars a year on grocery sales tax, that's good. But if my car hits one too many potholes on the highway and I have to like pay that in right. car repairs, like it's a, it's a wash. And I think we do that with education yeah. policy too, right? Where we, we, not just cut back on the number of teachers in classrooms today, but the environment we have created makes people less interested in going into education careers in the future, which means we will have fewer and fewer qualified teachers every single year. And yep. it, I don't know what the point is that it adds up to like, where we just don't have enough to go around. We have, and then we have to what consolidate schools, cut schools, close things like that's, then it's a devastating blow to communities. Mm all because of something that somebody thought was good to get reelected, you know, five or 10 years ago, same thing in healthcare, right? Yeah. Um, students who attend like medical school here at like the OU health sciences center can't complete all of their requirements in Oklahoma. They have to go out of state right. for some of their residency requirements in order to become a doctor. And if we can't provide a, a comprehensive medical education to potential doctors, not only are they not going to come here for school, they're not going to come work here afterwards. No. And then it's like, well, then you then you are actively pushing away educated, uh, well-resourced families, right, who would otherwise be spending their money and their lives here. But we're pushing them out of state. And it's like, if that's the case, then we are a net exporter of everything good, right? Like, and we, that's no way to run a state. No, it's no way to run a state. You know, and I'm I'm totally with you in that is that, it's whatever gets the headline of the day, whatever gets the votes for that election cycle versus what is going to happen down the road in the future. You know, with the teacher shortage, we would look at, I think the last number I saw was there's around 30,000 people in the state of Oklahoma that are certified to be teachers, that have trained to be teachers, gone to school to be teachers. They're certified who are no longer in the classroom. And 
we continue right. to come up with these, I say we, not me, those at the Capitol, those at the State Department of Education, continue to come up with these, these ways to attract teachers um, beyond just raising the pay, which is obviously definitely needs to happen. But, you know, we come up with all these schemes in order to, to attract teachers back into the classroom. But yet it's ludicrous to me that nobody seems to realize that, you know, maybe if you would just respect teachers from the get go, not continue to villainize them every chance you get in the media. You know, to me, I think the bigger issue with this teacher recruitment and retention issue that we have is because people are just tired of being disrespected. You know, nobody would stay in yeah. a job where you have a manager who's constantly berating you and giving you more hurdles to jump over and pay, not giving you a raise every year. Like nobody would stay in that job in the private sector in that type of an environment. Right. But yet here right. we have government officials that are, you know, trying to come up with these programs to attack, to, to attract teachers. And at the same, same breath on the same day, they're making posts from their car attacking teachers. Right. You know? Right. And so even, even not even just from a policy perspective, but just from a cultural perspective, the way that we view and we te treat our educators in this state until that changes, I don't see that we're going to be successful at turning this ship around. And I don't know how yeah. to change that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about advocacy because that's one way, right? Like that's, yeah. and I, and I will say this, um, I'm probably going to send this out as an email blast anyway. So <laughs> listeners, if you haven't already read the email, just be prepared, but it is increasingly apparent to me, right, that no one is coming to save us. That like, if we want change in this world, it is up to us to make that change. Yep. There's a lot of ways you can go about doing it. Some are more effective than others. It probably takes all of us doing everything we can yeah. to move progress forward. And I'm sure that's the way it's always been, right? Like yeah. in history, we point to specific individuals that like were big change makers and they definitely had a huge role, but it wasn't just them. Like it was... Right. Thousands and millions of people behind them doing the same thing. And there is, it is, I've wrestled with this all week of like, it's both a demoralizing concept that like we are the change makers that we need, and also like an intimidating and exciting concept that's like, oh, right. No, we can do this. Yeah. Like it's really, it might be really hard, but like, so was going to the moon and we've done that. Like <laughs> we can do this, right? It doesn't. Right. Right. We can do hard things, right? Especially if we do it together. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, we started this conversation talking about Public Schools Week, uh, which is this week. Yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, the 29th. So Wednesday mm -hmm. of this week was Advocacy Day at the state capitol. You had some lovely remarks um, during that. Tell us a little bit about yeah. um, what the purpose of that advocacy day was and like just kind of give us a general synopsis of what happened. So yesterday was a great day at the Capitol for public school advocacy. It's always exciting to be in the room with other people that are like-minded and have the same goals and passions as you. Um, so we were honored to be able to co-host uh, the Oklahoma Rural Schools Coalition co-hosted the day with the Oklahoma Parent Legislative Advocacy Coalition and Oklahoma PTA. Yeah. And then we had several, I think, dozens of other advocacy organizations. Everybody's kind of, you know, in their own world, but we're bringing those silos together to have one voice and have a stronger voice collectively as a group. And so um, we had people there from all over the state. I talked with everything from parents to grandparents to teachers, superintendents, um, just a great mix of community leaders people that were there, all there to first, you know, we kicked it off with a pep rally. We had, um, we had students from Edmond who sang the national anthem. We had students from Noble and students from Shawnee and Norman who helped to lead the, the Pledge of Allegiance like they do every day in public school. We had faith leaders there to talk about the importance of um, pushing back against this thing we have going on in Oklahoma where we're trying to blur the lines between church and state 
in our public schools. Mm -hmm. It was really encouraging to see faith leaders from all different faiths that were up on stage together, um, you know, standing side by side to support our public schools. And then, you know, everybody came together. Uh, Gittner Drummond was our keynote speaker. He was able to speak and address the crowd, which it was really refreshing um, from my perspective to have a politician who's up there boldly proclaiming the importance of protecting our public schools and pledging his support as he moves throughout his political career um, to be there to support our kiddos in public school. And so we had a big pep rally and then everybody you know, went out and had appointments and went out and spoke with their, their legislators on both the House and the Senate side about the issues that were important to them, the bills that a lot of us are watching. There's actually a lot of really good bills out there that, that have survived this first deadline of committee. And so I'm encouraged that this is one of, one of the few years that I've, I think is the first year I've ever seen where there's a lot of positive bills to support versus always fighting mm-hmm. negative. And um, we saw Mark McBride's bill yesterday. A lot of us were in the gallery at the house. We got to see him pass his bill to expand the state school board positions. And so we're really excited about that. And so it was just a wonderful day. We had apple pie um, after lunch with our legislators because there's nothing more American than public schools and apple pie, right? And so we got to sit and and have some time with our legislators across the table as groups. and enjoying some apple pie together and talking about our public schools. So I think I'm very encouraged to see that, you know, I think if you look at this, even five years ago, you would see a lot of different groups out there that were advocating advocating for public schools, but doing it in their own silo, right? And so what we've started to see is all of us are now starting to merge and come together and form a broader coalition and have one voice you know, we all differ a little bit on certain policy things that are coming through. But like you said, I mean, when you look at, there's no one coming to save us, right? It's up to us. And it can feel like right. we're we're trying to climb Mount Everest with no shoes sometimes. So it's always nice <laughs> to have other people alongside to strengthen that voice and strengthen that team. And that's really what yesterday was all about. And it was really, really, um, it was really a special day to be a part of. Yeah. I was there for the first part of the morning, which is why I wanted you to describe it. Cause I didn't get to, I wasn't able to stick around for the apple pie. Honestly, I was really bummed to miss it out was on, really good. You missed on that. It. Yeah, it was, but the, um, but the Edmund Memorial choir, like, you know, say what you will about the national anthem, but when done well, it is like hauntingly beautiful. And it definitely obviously oh. like harkens to a different time when it was written, yeah. Um, but to hear their voices in the rotunda was like just a like a holy moment in some ways, right? Of like, really oh was. right, it really we, was. We can be better than this. Um, that was great. And you know, your remarks, um, Misty Bradley from PLAC, who's I think we've been on the show before. Um, you know, General Drummond, like these were all. It was and everybody else. There was a bunch of other speakers in there. It was just. Um, a really refreshing reminder. And so listeners, I will say, if you weren't able to be there yesterday uh, or this week, well, you missed out, but there are many other capital days yet to come this year for a myriad of issues. If you haven't been to the state capital in a few years, and I know a lot of you haven't, you should go. For one, the building is much more beautiful than it was when I started doing this. Um, The renovation project, I was just standing there looking at the rotunda being like, it is... Like, if you haven't, if you don't remember what it was like before, just picture like smoker's teeth, yellow, everything. That's what it was like, that weird beige color. Some of it's because they used to smoke in there, right? Like in the last hundred years when they didn't fix it up. Um, But it's beautiful now. And I feel like that, to me at least, is like a little bit of reverence for what we could be, right? It like helps me remember that we can aspire to be better in how we take care of our buildings for sure. And how we take care of our people and our state yeah. um, as well. And so being there for this important purpose was um, filled my cup a little bit. And I think we could all use that this yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, I, especially I this it, month. I, I think even if you, like you said, even if people don't make it, if they miss that event, there's every single day, there's something going on. And every time that I'm up there, lob, you know, I, I'm not a professional lobbyist, but I say lobbying, talking with legislators, I'm always moved by whatever group is there because it's a really 
great snapshot into just kind of democracy and how it works and people are there fighting for whatever it is they believe in, whether it's, you know, conservation or education or whatever the case may be. It's just a real honor to be able to walk those halls, knowing some of the great people that have been there. And, um, you know, I think yesterday was very special in that, you know, really the reason we picked that theme of, you know, public schools as American as apple pie. And we had the pep rally with the national anthem, all of these things is we really wanted to kind of take that narrative back, right? That we are all Americans and we are all Oklahomans. And this whole divisive thing of, if you don't believe exactly the way I believe and you don't pray exactly the way that I pray, then you are less of an American is absolute nonsense. And so that's kind of the spirit we were trying to create yesterday was taking that back and really celebrating um, that our public schools are kind of the bedrock. They're the foundation of our democracy here in the United States of America. And so it was just, I agree with you. When they sang the national anthem, it was just such a moving moment. My eyes might've leaked a little bit, I'll admit. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. Um, and it's always like tough to say, like taking back these terms or this phrasing, right. because that someone acknowledges that we lost it. Right. Right. True. And I think, true. yeah. Um, but you're not wrong. I'm not trying to say that. Like, it's just there are, there are aspects of our democracy we have lost because they, we, we let them slip away. Right. Like yeah. sometimes it's exhausting to be hypervigilant about everything, but it is, we all know like it's easier to do maintenance than it is to like do the big repair in the end. Right. And, and in some cases, like there are strong forces working against us to do the damage in the first place. Um, but this is a good reminder of like why folks can't just tune in for one bill in one year, but like why we really need people to be engaged all the time. Right. And you don't have to like exhaust yourself, but the more that we collectively are like engaged in the civic process or civic life, right? which isn't just voting. It's not just voting. It's not just political stuff. It's like talking to your neighbors. I learn more about public mm-hmm. schools in Oklahoma from my neighbor two doors down, whose kids are a little bit older than mine. Um, well, they're in between my kids, but her kids go to our local school here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I learn more about like my local elementary from her and her kids um, and we talk often about what's happening with our, with our local school board or city council, traffic patterns around the school, all this <laughs> kind of stuff that's like, right. most of us take for granted, right? Um, but it affects hundreds of families from every school around, like it's a big deal. Uh, and so I think those kinds of conversations we've, we've stopped having, like we don't connect yeah. with our neighbors as much as we used to. I was um, talking to somebody yesterday, I think at the state capitol, actually, and they were telling me about in the city of Shawnee. Oh, no, it was last night. That's what it was. Last night we had an event in Norman, and someone was telling me in the city of Shawnee, a lot of neighborhoods have like started having like monthly neighborhood like block parties kind of, right? And they'll invite oh, you know, the that. fire department out or whatever. But it's just like a instead of having a backyard barbecue, it's like doing it in the front yard and just yeah. getting your neighbors together. And, and they said it has like changed the dynamics of their community in lots of ways. And I don't know all the details yet, but the way it was told to me, mm-hmm. um, sounded just lovely, right? That right. we've lost a lot of that connection in a lot of neighborhoods into like, we can't wait for someone else to create it. Like everyone's like, well, someone should throw a party. And it's like, why don't you throw right. a party? Like you right. should do it. Just right. <laughs> pass out flyers or just pull your grill around to the front yard and start cooking burgers. Someone's going to walk turn up on some and music and ask what's going on. Yeah. Turn on some music yeah. and have your ice chest and get it done. Right. I feel yeah. Like, people will show up. I feel uh, like anytime you find yourself saying somebody should do X, Y, Z, then that's mm-hmm. your signal that maybe you are the person that needs to be doing XYZ or finding somebody right. to do it, right? And and I do think, right. I think a lot of the problems we have that or that we're facing right now, particularly in this public school arena is, is um, 
you know, COVID really did a number on the social interaction between neighbors, um, you know, and it polarized for whatever reason, it seemed to just kind of polarize people in a lot of ways politically. And so they stopped having those conversations with neighbors who may be different on the political scale, but you still have, you have a lot more in common with one another than you don't. And, um, you know, in rural communities, you might not see the block parties, but I think just by geographic design, rural communities may have lost that a little bit less than suburban and urban communities because you do have everything always going on in the same space around the schools and stuff like that. Um, you know, we lived in Norman yeah. for 25 years before we moved to Noble. And um, that's one of the things that I love about living in my hometown now. And I loved living in Norman. I mean, we were there forever, but when you're in a larger town, it's easier to kind of just drive into your, you know, your garage at night and shut the door and, you know, watch whatever and do your thing and have your few little friends you do things with. And um, because we lost all of that connection during COVID, I think, um, I think we're just really still in the stages of digging that back and hopefully bringing people back to a place where they're talking to their neighbors over the fence and they're not just avoiding one another because of politics, because that's not how we get anything done, you know? Right. Yeah. That's so funny. You know, in, um, uh, oh, what's his name? The book Bowling Alone, right? Robert Putnam, right? Mm -hmm. Classic book came out 20, 30 years ago now. Um, but really, I think a pivotal moment of understanding for a lot of people about the forces shaping our society and like how we've lost this connection. And in the book, he talks about um, the advent of attached garages, which you kind of referenced, right? Of like that once that shifted, people just pull in the garage, close the door and go inside. You don't even see them walking from their car to the house. And I, when I read that, I was living in either Yukon or Edmond. Either way, I had an attached garage. And I was like, oh, that's funny. But probably doesn't really. I was like, that seems like a very silly thing. But now I live in uh, Oklahoma City, and our house is older. It's about 90 years old. And so, like, it technically has an attached garage. It was way too small to park in. I don't know how any car <laughs> in the 40s even fit in there. Um, and so everyone parks in the driveways. And I do see people all the time, like, yeah. out walking to their cars. Yeah. Standing around, like, even when I get out, if I hear a car running or, you know, you're, like, looking around your neighbors. And some of it's because we, you know, our kids play and we have warm interactions. But mm -hmm. there's just people that are just that, like, 10 feet from the door to the car makes a difference in, like, seeing your neighbors. Yeah. I remember living in Edmond. Them. And, the yeah, right. The woman across the street came and went for, I don't know, seven, eight months. She lived there. And she would pull in, close the door. I never saw her. And we we called her Nancy. I don't know what her name was. We just never. And I, and I remember thinking like, because I had, you know, my kids were playing the street and she would pull in and pull in the garage. And I was like, I don't even know what color hair she has. I've never seen her, right? Uh -huh. Trash cans would appear under the cover of darkness or whatever. And I was just like, it is weird to live across the streets from someone and have no idea even what they look like. I could run into her at the grocery store and I have no idea. Um, and so I think that seeing that from two different sides now, it's made me much more cognizant of my responsibility mm -hmm. as a member of this community to like wave hello to people, right? Even when you're driving, when you're walking, like yeah. if the weather's nice, I put my windows down and I drive yeah. just so I can like have an extra hello to someone that I might not know, but like it helps right. build trust and a sense of community just among people around and then someday, right, maybe we have a cookout, we have a conversation right. or whatever, but it starts that process of building relationships. Yeah, I just, I think that's so key and so important. And we really can't, I mean, I don't believe in my heart that we can, we can begin to repair this rift that we've seen split our communities apart during COVID between politics and the pandemic and all of that. I don't think we can begin to repair that until we start to look at our neighbors as as our neighbors, right? And and wave at them and take the time right. to get to know them and right. take the time to, and again, like for me, it's different because I'm out on 40 acres. So when I pull up, the only people I have to say hi to are, they're not people, they're chickens. <laughs> they don't, right. they don't, they don't wave back. But, um, but I'm, I'm grateful to live in a community where we have a community of people who are committed to constantly creating space for people to gather together 
and in, in fellowship and, and support one another. And it's, I'm really blessed to live in the community that I live in. Yeah. Erica, before we wrap up for today, uh, you mentioned a couple of the good bills you've been watching McBride's bill and some others. Are there any other pieces of legislation that our listeners might should tune into and be aware of as we kind of go to the next hurdle in the legislative process? Well, without my piece of paper in front of me. I sprung this on you without a list, I'm sure. Me, um, but I know that, <laughs> that there, there's quite a few bills um, out there right now, and we're getting ready. How about this? We'll, we'll be posting this into our our group, I think, next week in our Facebook group. So if anybody wants help kind of following and tracking the bills, they're welcome to come join our Facebook group. That'll be a good place to track some of these good bills and, and see where they are and when your voice is needed. Um, so there's quite a few bills out there right now for actually, I believe there's two bills for expanding the state school board, um, to remove the complete control of that, those positions, um, from the governor only. So the governor will still have the, um, seats that he's able to appoint, but, but I believe both bills have, um, appointments that would come from the house and appointments that would come from the Senate to expand that board. Um, and there are requirements behind these that, that they are people who have had experience in education, which I think is important, particularly now, as we have a state school board who doesn't seem to connect the dots with things all of the time because of their lack of experience. So those are exciting. We've got some bills. Uh, we still have one bill alive um, that addresses the accreditation process and um, removing the sole decision behind school accreditation from the State Department of Education. You know, accreditation was never meant to be this kind of a weapon to whip people in line. And um, that whole decision process around accreditation is, is being abused. And so it's nice to see that we still have some legislation after this first deadline week that is alive to address that. Um, of course, we have we still have the bill that was carried over from last session from Representative John Talley out of Stillwater, addressing corporal punishment for children with disabilities. That is still taking place in many districts across the state. Um, it barely, I mean, it didn't quite get across the finish line last session, but they were able to capture it. And so that is still a live one that we're going to continue to push for. We're working closely with our friends at Appleseed and the Advanced Oklahoma Kids Coalition on that. We still have, um, there were several bills this year that were put out for um, free school meals for all. Um, some of those have died, but I do believe there's at least one that is still alive. So we're gonna be pushing for that one um, quite a bit. I'm trying to think, I mean, there's, there's some Funding bills out there protecting funding for alternative kids that are needing alternative education um, that we're supporting. So I would say out of our out of our you know top 400 bills we started with that we narrowed it down to, um, we've probably got 15 positive bills that we're going to be tracking and only three that we're really pushing against. And that's just within our scope of rural schools. There's obviously more right. bills out there that are good and more bills out there that are bad, but these are just kind of the ones that we picked as most important. We're, we're concerned about there is a virtual school day bill out there by Senator Kristen Thompson that would eliminate schools' ability to have distance enrichment days, which, you know, that's not for people in urban and suburban schools that may not be as big of a deal but for our rural schools who are struggling with teacher retention and getting access to resources for kids in remote areas that's an important thing we want to be able to hang on to so that's one of the bills that we're going to be really pushing probably the most against um, from a rural perspective this session and good lord I don't know any of the numbers because who can keep all that straight without it in front of you <laughs> right <laughs> right right but, um, but I am encouraged that there does seem to be quite a bit of stuff out there to um, rein in superintendent Walters and some of the things that are going on at the state board of education so we'll see how that all plays out um, in the coming yeah. weeks well but... <clears throat> yeah I think public education continues to be the most animating force in Oklahoma, right? When it comes around sure. to advocacy and political stuff, because it's probably the one that, I mean, it's, or one of the issues that touches 
the most people, the most families in such a like important way and like a long standing way, right? Like this is not just a, if your kids are in public school, they're in public school for 12, 13 years, right? And like you have a lot of, um, a lot of impact from that system and it's very important. So Erica, I appreciate all the work that you do with the Rural Schools Coalition. Yeah. Um, we hope to have you back maybe later after session to kind of shake down how everything went. And like I would love to. Figure out what happens next. How's that sound? That would be great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. My guest today has been Erica Wright uh, with the Oklahoma Rural Schools Coalition. You can connect with them on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com slash groups slash OK Rural Schools or just go to Facebook and search for Oklahoma Rural Schools Coalition. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Listeners, thanks so much for being here. It's been great to be with you. Thanks to Erica Wright for being our guest today. What I need you to do right now is to go to our website and sign up for emails if you haven't done so already. Let's fix this dot to our friends and neighbors and family that people care about what's going on in their lives and people care about taking the time to listen to them and about how to make sure they know they're heard this, right? That relationship is strengthened. Not even so much the top of the ticket, but all 